0: Hey y'all, I'm Jen Horan-Jeff, founder of Savvy Cooperative, and I'm thrilled to be here on the Offscript Media Network to talk to you about a dirty little word, non-compliant. Because patients are labeled non-compliant all the time, but more often than not, it's because the system hasn't been designed in a way that works for them. I truly believe that patients have the power to influence the future of healthcare. So join me as we take on healthcare and challenge the status quo, because sometimes non-compliance is what moves the needle. Hello, and welcome back to Noncompliant with Jen and Jeff. I'm the founder and CEO of Savvy Cooperative and a senior producer here at the Offscript Media Network. I'm thrilled that today we are going to have such a fabulous guest on. I am proud to bring you Gabe Howard, the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations. He's also the host of Psych Central Podcast. So Gabe, thanks so much for joining us.
1: I am thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So as I talk about your credentials here, I noticed there's a theme around mental illness and psychology. Why in the world do you actually care about mental health?
1: It's actually a very good question. And it has the standard answer because it happened to me that that's really the unfortunate part about mental health advocacy. There's almost nobody. In in fact, I I would place a wager that there is nobody in mental health advocacy who hasn't been personally affected by it. Either they themselves have a mental illness, or somebody they care about has a mental illness.
0: I think one of the interesting things for myself as somebody with physical illnesses is that there's just so much overlap then with the mental health community. I'll, I'll share, you know, personally that members in my family have other mental health issues, but yet for me, with somebody as somebody with physical disabilities and other types of diseases. It felt like there was a different stigma for my family members who had mental health issues that they were dealing with, as opposed to myself with physical health issues. Is this something that you're seeing in general as somebody, you know, living and working in this community?
1: Patients are always going to be stigmatized. And I'm sort of making air quotes over the stigmatized because not everybody sees it as stigma. Uh, But what I define as stigma is, you know, doctors don't listen to us. People think that we don't know what's going on. They think that we have zero role to play in our own recovery. I mean, remember, it wasn't that far back that when you went to a doctor, you had to follow your doctor's orders. They were orders for Pete's sake. I mean, you were basically a child. So there's... There, there's that. We're always going to have this problem where we're the patients and uh, the medical community is the medical community. And apparently we we cannot be friends. We We have to be sort of reluctant roommates, for lack of a better phrase. But then add on to that. People are just mean to people with mental illness. Mm. I get afraid of something that my doctor asked me to do. And they're like, well, it's for your own good. Well, you have to take the pills. Well, who cares if it's a side effect? You're better off. Could you imagine if somebody was having surgery and they said, I'm scared of the surgery. And everybody just looked at them and said, well, it's for your own good. Why are you you crying? You have to do it or you're going to die. And that extends to our families. Our, Our families aren't exactly you know, getting any hugs either. In fact, they're often blamed for what's going on. So it's a lot of whisper, whisper, hush, hush. And that just leads to the stigma.
0: I think that's a really just you know excellent way to kind of tee it off the fact that there's a different approach to mental illness and thinking about sort of innovations and where were we and where are we now? Has there been any progress in the mental health space in let's say the past decade?
1: It's really tough to define progress. I I always tell this little story. Let's say that if you don't come up with $10,000 by the end of the month, you're going to be evicted. Uh, You you live in a really expensive apartment. And you start with zero, right? And and then you're halfway through the month and you've got $3,000. And then... And you say, I- I'm not gonna make it. And somebody says, Well, but you started at zero and now you have three thousand dollars. And this this is supposed to like be comforting, I guess, that you've made so much progress. But then of course you you get to the end of the month and you've got seven thousand dollars. Yeah, that's you don't have ten thousand dollars, you're being evicted. I can't look you in the eyes, Jen, and tell you that there haven't been any positive changes in the last decade. But I can tell you that whether it's 10 years ago, or it's today, people with mental illness are being evicted, uh, to to complete the analogy. And, And that's very problematic. And I think
0: that's a great way to lead into what can we do? what is happening? Why are patients not able to get the care that they need? And what are they having to do to kind of just get by because the system is not working for them?
1: The reality is, is there's no simple answer. And and you and I don't have time to dig into all the problems. If we were hanging out at a coffee shop that never closed and they said that we could stay 48 hours, and therein lies the problem. It's so massive. The problems are so severe. This isn't a case of people slipping through the cracks or a few misunderstandings or a leak in the boat. No, the, the boat is on the bottom of the ocean. Everybody acknowledges that the boat's on the bottom of the ocean. Everybody says that they want to do something about the boat that's on the bottom of the ocean, but in reality, we don't. And the best example I have of this, Jen, is homeless people. We walk past homeless people all the time. We we consider them a nuisance. We ignore them. You know, in many places, they will remove furniture and put in furniture that has anti-homeless devices. So like it has railing, so people can't lay down or they put bumps on the concrete so that homeless people can't sleep there. That's how we're handling this problem. We're making it difficult for a homeless person to lay down and sleep. And we call that a solution. And that's just, that's just the very tippy top of the iceberg. So when you ask what we can do about it, I, I think step one is probably to acknowledge that there's a problem.
0: Yeah. And wow, what an analogy to think about just largely the the healthcare system, just putting rails and bars in places to try to keep the the patients that are causing problems, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes too, uh, the, the problematic patients. Well, if we just kind of get rid of them, then we can have sort of this pristine record.
1: It's sort of cleaning out the noise from those that are sort of following the rules. And that's an interesting point that you made there. See, we get a lot of our stats. From Well, frankly, people who are in the hospital have gotten some sort of care. There's there's a whole contingent of people that have never received any care. There's a contingent of people that have only received care in the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. There's a contingent of people who are, are literally homeless. So not only have they've never gotten care, they don't even have food and shelter. So frankly, their mental health concerns are not as pressing as the fact that if it's too cold, they will die from exposure. And, and these are all of the things that make up the mental health system. But all we're talking about is the person who presents at the emergency room, the person that makes an appointment with the psychiatrist, the person who has family members advocating for them to get well. Uh, yeah, we're, we're literally eliminating swaths of people to come up with our advocacy goals. It's just nonsense. It's like your house catching on fire. It burns to the ground. You're like, look, the shed is standing. And everybody's like, well, yeah, then nothing bad happened." (laughs) It's a bit turn around. The house burnt down. No, no, the shed's fine. Lawn's pretty good, too. It makes
0: me think of, you know, all the innovators that we see that are working in mental health and not to poo-poo them. But how is a new app helping those people, like you say, just get shelter and food?
1: The reality is, is the new app is not helping people get shelter and food. Now, that doesn't make the app bad. This is, this is another huge problem that we have in mental health advocacy. What the hell is mental health? It's so broad. Could you imagine if instead of cancer advocacy or breast cancer advocacy or, or diabetes advocacy or surgical trauma advocacy or migraine advocacy, we just had physical health advocacy? <laughs> And everybody was the same. It doesn't matter if you have terminal cancer or a headache, you're a physical health advocate. We lump it all together. The, the reality is, is those apps are great for people who are having mental health struggles. But yeah they're not doing anything for people with severe and persistent mental illness, especially people with severe and persistent mental illness and crisis. Uh, That said, I I don't want people to stop using technology to improve the lives of my fellow man. Just because somebody is worse doesn't mean that the problems that those apps are treating aren't incredibly important. But I I think that they get overvalued. People are like, well, we've invested millions of dollars in technology for people with mental illness. Ah, you've invested millions of dollars in technology for people with mental health concerns. We've actually invested very little in people with psychosis or schizophrenia or, you know, even bipolar disorder or major depression. And that's the problem that lumping it all together creates the illusion that everybody's getting help rather than what's actually happening. And that the sicker you are, the less resources are available.
0: Yeah, and I know that you and I when the pandemic started had a conversation around this around how is mental health and our virtual world how are they coming together in a more cohesive way because Gabe isn't it just super
1: easy that mental health is obvious that you can treat it remotely and some mental health can be treated remotely but let's pretend that Gabe Howard has the identical mental health issue as that homeless guy that I just described annoying us down the street well I have a computer, I I have high-speed internet, Uh, I have health insurance. So all of these things are now available to me to solve my problem. Now, remember that homeless gentleman has the identical problem. Now, I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a computer, broadband, or health insurance, or probably the ability to make an appointment. And that's where it gets so complicated. Why is the base assumption that every single person with a mental health problem Having identical resources. This is literally nonsense. I would be laughed out of a room if I said, you know, everybody should buy a Mercedes. And people would just laugh at me. And I'd say, what? It's a top rated car, German engineering. It's, it, it's the model of luxury. Why would you not want the best? And people would be like, he's, he's so out of touch. And I'd be like, but what? I've explained why the Mercedes is good. That should be enough. And yeah. if I got a brain in my head, people would be like, look, most of us don't have access. To a Mercedes, we we can't afford the gas, the 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 cost of the car, the maintenance, the upkeep. We're 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 buying five thousand dollar beaters at the buy here pay here, and you're talking about the benefits of a Mercedes. But people are wandering around saying, I don't know why that guy didn't get a Mercedes. It's out there. I've seen it. I know it exists. I read about it in the paper. It's his fault. He doesn't want to get better. If he wanted to get better, he'd buy a Mercedes. Now again, people are like, "Look, Gabe, you're an idiot. Not everybody can afford a Mercedes." We get that. But when I say that not everybody can afford access to healthcare, that not everybody can afford a doctor's appointment, that not everybody can afford what they need to be stable, people are like, "Well, they're just lazy. They should get a job." I where did this come from? Where where did this thinking come from? It's fascinating and and frankly sad. It's it's terribly sad.
0: It just ascribes a sort of cookie cutter approach to mental health. And it is not the way that an individual patient would approach their care. And not only is it access and resources, but personal preferences and Are people comfortable with some of these different approaches? Like you had mentioned before, there may be opportunities where somebody wants to have an in-person session with, you know, a mental health professional, as we may call them. I don't even know if that's what we should be thinking about them because there are specializations even within mental health. But I think it's coming down to needing personal preferences, even if we can solve the access problem,
1: which can we solve that? Do you think we can solve that? The access problem is going to be difficult to resolve because it really doesn't matter what illness you have. You probably have an access problem. We're one of the only countries that has the phrase pre-existing condition. In other countries, they just call it your health history. Mm. There, there, there's not this stigma around having previously been sick. There is in America, once you're sick, you're you're radioactive. You, you've got problems. It's difficult. And in America, we get our healthcare through our employers. Well, I I don't know many employers that are hiring people with stage four cancer. And I don't know many people with stage four cancer who are applying for jobs that are a high enough level to work full time to get the kind of health insurance that you need to fight stage four cancer. And we look at this like, oh, this is a good system. It's not. Now let's bring that over to the mental health side where most people we we feel bad for people with stage four cancer. We we feel sad about it. Like it 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 moves us in some way. It it worries us. But you you hear that the person with mental illness can't get care, and they think, ah, uh, he should just get his shit together. You know, if he wanted to. Well, I don't understand why he doesn't work harder. You know, back in my day, we would have just spanked that out of that belligerent child. And just on and on and on. We just have so many excuses for why we're literally ignoring sick people. They're sick and we don't care and we blame the sick people. We get our insurance through our employers. And the average onset of severe and persistent mental illness is 16 to 24. I don't know many 16 to 24-year-olds that have high-level full-time jobs with the kind of health care that you need to fight a lifelong illness. So th- you're, you're basically screwed from the, the second you start off in life because you don't have health care for the illness that you have. And if you can imagine, if you can beat the illness... You now have a pre-existing condition, which makes it harder to get insurance for the rest of your life. And again, not only are we okay with this, but when we introduced legislation to fix it with the Affordable Care Act, everybody said, no, that must be dismantled. We must dismantle that. We must figure out a way to take health care away from sick people. And we're fine with that. We're we're fine with it.
0: Well, I am not fine with it. This in lies the problem of The fact that we are just making it harder and harder for people who want to help themselves to be able to have access to tools, to services, to the support network that they need. And I think that this is really no better example than in the mental health space, as you say, because there just are additional stigmas that are making it even harder for these individuals
1: to find the care that they need. You want to know how to solve the problem? Just listen up. Everybody who has mental illness, stop it. There you go. Just we've resolved Thanks. the problem.
0: <laughs> we did it. We've done it. We've solved it in this short little segment. Well, I, I know.
1: Feel, I feel very positive that we just got that kind of outcome. We should have you on every time. I, I know. Doesn't it sound ridiculous? Like, I, I'm hoping that when people hear something like that, they think, huh, that really sounds ridiculous. I, I guess the solution isn't to make the patient stop it and tell them to fix it. Like, we, we need a, we need a more robust approach. Like, when you really say it that way... I'm hoping that it gives people pause and it makes people think, huh, we we might need to pay more attention to this. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's all I got. Hey, I would love for my autoimmune diseases to stop. So I should just tell my
0: body to stop attacking all of my tissues and then I'll be fine.
1: I feel really bad that I did not tell autoimmune diseases to stop it. I don't know if I have that power as I'm only a mental health advocate. I'm not a physical health advocate. So... You're going to have to find your own advocate because we can't help each other. We must be siloed. See, doesn't that sound ridiculous as well? So autoimmune diseases, stop it. Stop it. Stop it.
0: (laughs) Well, we have solved healthcare, Gabe, as always. It is fabulous to speak with you. I know that our listeners always learn so much from hearing the expert wisdom that you bring to the table. So thank you for joining us today.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. I think you're one of the only people who calls me an expert. Everybody else is just like, there's that loud redheaded guy. So I I, I love the title that I have whenever you're around.
0: Uh, well, you deserve it. And this is the point that patients are the experts in their conditions. So thank you for sharing your voice. And we can't wait to have you back again. Anytime. So Are you ready to challenge the status quo? Well, join me as we take on healthcare. Whether you're a patient who wants to share your story or a company who needs that valuable patient input, well, come on over to Savvy Cooperative. Visit us at www.savvy.coop. I'm Jen Horinjo. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Noncompliant.
1: That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.